The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 55. Uh, we just wrapped up the first big weekend of college football action and there was craziness galore, as we tend to expect in the college football landscape. So to catch us up on what took place and preview some week two action, we're going to have Aaron Torres. You can find his uh, articles all over the internet. And he's been doing a lot of radio work for Fox Sports Radio. Check him out there and on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Aaron, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. Just Do, do I call you Bubba? Is that your birth name? Is that your Twitter name? Like, uh, how do I – is it Mr. Bubba? Is it? Uh, how, what's the best way to address you here? I want to be proper. It's your show, and I'm a guest here, so I just want to make sure I'm addressing the host in the most proper manner possible. Bubba, Bubba is what I've gone by since I was a little kid. It's not my birth name, but everybody calls me Bubba, so go with Bubba. I'm cool with that. Okay, perfect. Let's go, Bubba. What are we talking tonight? We're talking big some, night tonight. Yeah, big night. Lots of crazy stuff uh, in college football. We'll go right into the week one recap, and we'll start with. The trouble that Texas schools in general had last week, you know, Texas losing to Maryland, Baylor losing to Liberty, A&M losing to UCLA. We'll start with Texas, Maryland. I believe we talked a little bit earlier on the on, on Twitter. You're, in a, you're a Maryland alum, or a fan at least, correct? <laughs> no, no. Sometimes I just like taking up random causes. I'm a UConn alum. Uh, I have no affiliation with Maryland. I partied in College Park one time, which was awesome. I had a great time. This was a decade ago, uh, you know, the, the kids that are there now were probably in like elementary school, but, uh, no, you know, listen, I, uh, you know, I like to take random causes sometimes, you know, I like to pick fights on Twitter for no reason. And I just felt like you know, nobody was standing up for the Terps, you know, maybe Scott Van Pelt did later in the day. He usually takes up their cause pretty well, but you know, I don't know how a top 25 team on the road, win a true road game and, not get ranked in a week where, you know, I, I believe they were the only team to win a, a road game against an AP top 25 team. Um, and look, you know, there's going to be the argument of, well, Texas was overranked. Well, shit, man, it's still the same ranking that these AP poll voters voted in. So if Texas was good enough to be in your preseason ranking, then you should reward, you know, the team that beat them. So to me, you know, it, uh, you know that was uh, you know one of the many big takeaways from week one. But yeah, if you follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres, when the poll came out on Tuesday, I got a little bit worked up because I just thought, you know, again, what's the point of scheduling these big games? What's the point of taking a true road game 
against the top 25 team if you're not going to be rewarded for it. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's kind of a shame because you said right there to not be rewarded for it because, like you said, Maryland, they're still going to have to win, probably win out, or at least, you know, maybe one loss to get the respect that they're going to deserve after beating a Texas team and running the gauntlet. Whereas you have a team like Florida State, which we'll talk about later, people go, oh, you lost Alabama. It's okay. We're not going That's not going to affect you season long. If Maryland were to lose to Texas and win out, they'd still be screwed. So there is a lot to be said about what, what you're talking about there. Well, my um, whole – yeah, yeah, and I just think, like, you know, look, I, I think that the easy narrative is Texas is overrated. This is obviously a team that went 5-7 and seven last year, lost to Kansas. I get all that. Um, I think in defense of the voters, like, if this had been in week two or week three and Texas had looked really good, uh, you know, Maryland would have gotten a little bit more credit. But to me, I don't know. It's just – it just kind of bothered me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm happy you're giving me a platform to just vent about my Terps here, so I appreciate it. I'm all about it. I'm a Big Ten guy, so I'm all for getting the Big Ten some respect. So, yeah, um, yeah they had a big week one. Uh, we pretty much already know Texas, they're going to be in quite the rebuilding process. Uh, Maryland, I, they, they weren't the best of teams last year is the best way I can put it. They were good, but they weren't the best of teams. This – really came out of nowhere for me. What do we have to look forward to Maryland this year? Are they really going to be – are they taking that big step forward or is this kind of just Texas is that bad and Maryland will be okay? No, I don't think it's Texas is bad. You know, look, here's the deal is that um, the, uh, you know, the Big Ten East is the best division in college football right now. You know, you have three legitimate top ten teams with Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State. Uh, Michigan State, I think, will be improved. And then, oh, by the way, Maryland goes on the road – uh, beats Texas. Rutgers gives Washington all they can handle. Uh, and who's the last team I'm missing? I'm missing somebody here. Oh, Indiana played Ohio mm. State really tough. And so I say that to say, you know, this is a really tough division, you know, but I think Maryland is definitely a program taking a step in the right direction. This is a team that really struggled last year, uh, two years ago, uh, under current UConn head coach Randy Edsel. So, you know, you asked me if I went to UConn, we're bringing it back full circle, the Huskies there. Uh, but Randy Etzel was there. They struggled. He got fired. DJ Durkin comes in year one and makes a bowl game with basically all of Edsel's players. So, look, is Maryland going to win the Big Ten? Of course not. Are they, uh, you know, more likely to be a, the type of team that, uh, you know, finishes maybe 7-5, and 8-4 and four if everything breaks well? Yeah, I think that feels about right. Um, you know, but I, I'll say this. I think they're going to give all those teams, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Penn States, all they can handle – um, you know, they're not, you, you know, look, they're not, you know, here's the thing is I, I wasn't claiming, uh, you know, on Monday that or Tuesday that they are one of the five best teams in the country just based on, you know, if we're doing these polls based on what we've seen on the field that they deserve to be ranked. So I think they're going to give those bigger programs, those bigger name programs a challenge this year. But, uh, you know, they're still, you know, leaps and bounds from competing with Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State. But in their defense, most programs in college football are. Yeah, definitely. One more question on this game. I don't know if you saw it today, but Urban Meyer had some choice comments for uh, Tom Herman. Um, Herman mentioned after their loss to Maryland, this is his quote, I told our guys to never get used to the feeling but th that if we all thought we were going to come in here in nine months and sprinkle some fairy dust on this team and think we've arrived, then we're wrong. The only way we know how to fix things is to work harder. That was priceless to me. I guess they used to coach together. Herman was on Meyer's staff. Meyer goes with, come on, man, 
I don't know where that came from. It's like a generation of excuse. Herman said, I can't rub pixie dust on things. You got a dose of reality. Maryland just scored 51 points on you. Wow. Yeah. Seeing yeah. <laughs> there was a controversy, but I've been so busy just getting stuff done that I hadn't really dug into it. Uh, you know, look, I, I wonder if Urban Meyer misunderstood the quote. Look, I, you know, I – again, I, I haven't really dug into it, so I'm sorry I'm not giving your audience kind of a better kind of take or opinion on it. I, I, I just really think, you know, look, the rebuild for Tom Herman is real. Um, look, it sounds a lot like something that Charlie Strong would have said a year ago, so I understand if anyone is skeptical about how far along this rebuild is. But, you know, Tom Herman's right. You know, I think that that's been the attitude at Texas for too long. And you could say that maybe about some other programs too, maybe at Florida after what Michigan did to them, you know, really embarrassing them, that there is no magic sauce and that if you aren't going to come in and work, you're going to get beaten. And, you know, this is a sport that at the end of the day – uh, as you know, Bubba, it's just like, you know, this is a sport that, you know, you got to buckle the chin strap and get going because if you don't, that team of, across from you isn't afraid to play and they're not afraid to, to take it to you. And, and to be honest, whether it's a Texas and Michigan and Ohio State of Florida, Tennessee, you know, those are programs that get everyone's best shot because even if Texas is quote unquote overrated, that's still a feather in the cap of Maryland. So I didn't see, um, like I said, I didn't have a time to, to really deep dive into those comments, but I, I will defend Tom Herman on this one because I think the point he's trying to make is that, you know, if you think just because you got that burnt orange on your jersey and that, that hook'em horn on your helmet, that's not going to guarantee anything for anybody. Uh, and Texas once again learned that this weekend. Definitely. Uh, let's look at another team in Texas, Baylor, who another new head coach there in, in rule. Um, they lose to Liberty at home, 48-45. What? is going to be going on in Baylor land this year. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I remember when this coaching hire was made, and I said, you know, I went on radio in Texas that day, and I said, this is going to be a disaster. Um, and I get it. Matt Rule had two really good years at Temple. They won the AAC last year. They almost beat Notre Dame. Uh, or maybe they, they – yeah, they almost beat Notre Dame last year. Maybe it was the year before. I can't remember. But – He's been, you know, he took that program to a level that even when Al Golden and Steve Adazio was there, they were never at. And so he had to find the next job because there's no guarantee that you come back and have success again for a third year. And if you don't, maybe you don't get that big payday from a Power 5 school. But the reality of the situation is this, is that, you know, first of all, he is a Northeasterner, never coached in Texas, doesn't know the high school scene there. Now, to his credit, he hired a bunch of high school coaches uh, to fill out his staff and to help with recruiting. But this is also a program which, you know, he runs a kind of a pro-stylish system. And let's be honest, we know the kind of personnel that was recruited to Baylor under Art Bryles. You can talk about all the off-the-field stuff, but on the field, you know, this is going to be a major adjustment for this team and this program. And so, to me... Um, I thought that I saw this coming a little bit, uh, and then you add in the fact that, um, you know, it's just, it's a first game, it's a new system, it's a new coach, and oh, by the way, a lot of the depth in this program was sapped when, during that Bryles transition, where there were a lot of transfers, the entire 2016 recruiting class basically uh, all left the program. I mean, they, they lost a bunch of really high-level recruits. Uh, throughout that transition. So this is going to be a major rebuild for Matt Rule. It's easy to say, uh, you know, it's business as usual at Baylor, but I think we're learning that this thing's going to be a real, real tough uphill battle. 
with all the problems that have taken place at Baylor, and I agree, it's going to be a long time because, you know, you got kids leave, like you said, graduate, transfer, whatever. The other drama that's there that, you know, many people, including myself, thought I wouldn't have been surprised if they would have had a year or two death penalty in, in place. But um, do you think the, the people in charge there will give Rule enough time to make this change, or is he just kind of there as a filler, like the guy in between the guy? Yeah, you know, it's funny because this was kind of one of the points that I made, uh, you know, many months ago now, is that, look, it all sounds good on paper from an administration, from a fan base, the idea that kind of, quote, unquote, we know this is going to take a long time, and we know this is an uphill battle, and we know this is a major rebuild ahead. But that program, you know, it's a place that they never had any historical success, and now, you know, they ripped off a bunch of 10-11 win seasons in a row, obviously dating back to the RG3 era. And so it's easy to sit here and say, you know, oh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll give this guy as much time as he needs. That's not how college football works, man. You know, I was told that Charlie Strong was going to get time at Texas because that was a rebuild. You know, I was, you, you go on and on down the list. It's easier said than done. If they continue to struggle, you know, not this year and not next year. I mean, he's going to be given – you know, a, a two, three-year kind of deal. But, you know, the, the, the level of play was so high that I find it hard to believe that, that if, if he can't get them back into the upper echelon, hey, listen, he gets year one. If he doesn't get them looking right by the middle of year two, there's going to be questions, and he better be winning at a reasonably high clip, seven, eight wins by year three uh, if he wants to keep the job. It's a long way down the road. We're talking fall 2019 but it's never too early because that's just how college football works. Yeah, totally agree. And last but not least, we'll talk about another Texas head coach that's heads already on the shopping block, but he's been there a little while at least. Yeah. From Texas A&M, UCLA, uh, just bananas game. Uh, I was telling people on Twitter when they said it was over, I said, you guys know Gus Johnson's announcing this game, right? That, that he, doesn't, he doesn't do blowouts. Something weird is going to happen. So it was like a tale of two halves. A&M does their deal. Everyone's saying, how can Rosen possibly be the number one pick? Second half, it's fire some, someone. Rosen's the best quarterback in the world. What was your total takeaway from this game? Um, is, did A&M – I know A&M lost their quarterback. I think that's that's been overlooked in a lot of conversations. We've seen a lot of conversations. It's all about someone blew it, blew it. But they lost their quarterback, for crying out loud. That was a big blow. Um, what's the outlook like? What was your takeaway from the game, and where can we go from here with these two programs? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that the biggest – my biggest takeaway is, you know, I, I've been a Kevin Sumlin defender through the years, but this was a game I don't think he survives. I just don't. Um, you know, look, something crazy could happen. They could go 10-2. and two, They could upset Alabama. And, yeah, he could keep his job. But the point is there's nothing to indicate that anything like that is going to happen. Um, you know, and the reality is it's not just that this team lost. It's not just even that they lost in a historic fashion. It's that everything that every A&M fan kind of has a complaint about with someone came to light here. Um, you build a big lead and you can't hold it. You have poor kind of play clock management down the stretch. We're simple football stuff. You know, if you take care of the simple things, and look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be, uh, you know, a football expert as far as, you know, oh, this receiver ran the wrong route, or if this A-gap, you know, if this guy had filled the A-gap instead of the B, like, I'm not going to do that. But you know that when you're trying to win a game, you salt down the clock as much as you can. Um, and then you hit on the most important point is the quarterback deal. I mean, this is a guy that ever since Johnny Manziel left campus has 
been juggling quarterbacks, has not been able to keep that position, uh, you know, stable again since Johnny Manziel left in 2013 or 2000, yeah, 2013. And so. My big thing is, I understand you want to get the true freshman Kellen Mond reps, but why are you doing it in the middle of the second quarter when the game is still very, very, very much, uh, you know, up, up in doubt? And so, to me, you know, you know, they they had a chance to really put the hammer down. They did it early in the second half, but weren't able to maintain. But to me, that's the biggest thing: is why did you juggle quarterbacks? Get Kellen Mond his reps when Josh Rosen is on the sideline and the game is out of hand. Or wait until this week when you're playing an FCS opponent. So to me, I just find it really hard to believe that after everything that just happened, that Kevin Sumlin's going to be able to survive this. Again, I think he's a an above-average coach. I think he's going to get another coaching job in about 30 seconds. But sometimes, you know, just a, a fan base and a coach grow tired of each other. And I really wonder if this is the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, he's, he is a really good coach. That's what people forget about it. And, and you know, I – you might disagree with me on this, but I think like Charlie Strong was a good coach. It was just eventually there's so many people running around saying he has to go that your program has to just make these calls. And it happens all over college football. So you're, you're hundred, you're hundred percent right. Someone will find a job. It won't be maybe an SEC school right out the gate. It'll be somewhere else and he could make his way back someday, but um, he'll be fine. It'll be really, really interesting there. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think, it, there's just times, you know, and I've been following the sport and covering the sport long enough, where whether it's Charlie Strong in Kansas, whether it's Will Muschamp losing to Georgia Southern in his seconds last year, you know, they always say that once you get on the hot seat, you never really get off of it. And I just think that there are certain times where you just have a loss that you're just not going to recover from. And I really feel like this is one of them for uh, Kevin Summer. Yeah, because this could have been that win. You know, UCLA is not a powerhouse, but they're a very respectable team and a very good conference. And they're top 25 is close to top 25, depends on your polls. It would have been a big statement to start the year as, okay, someone's going to have our team going in the right direction, especially the blowout fashion it was starting in. So, yeah, big, big blow. Out of the three Texas losses, which one is the most – I'm guessing it might be someone based on what you just said, but which one's the yeah. worst of the three losses? And yeah, I, I think it's Texas A&M. I mean, if I if I was one of those fan bases or one of those coaches, I, that was the one that sticks out. Just because what I said. I mean, it, and it's what you said, Bubba. It's year six. There, there is not the the new coach. You know, the new coach feel to it. You gotta you gotta win a game. You're up forty four to ten. I mean, there's a. I mean, there's just there's no other way to put it. Especially when you're on the hot seat. Especially when you've had you know, in-season collapses before. It, it was just a worst-case scenario for Kevin Sumlin. I think he's handled everything this week with total class, but, you know, that's just one you got to have. All right, let's move on to one of the big games of uh, Saturday night. We had Florida State taking on Alabama. Really close contested game in the first half for the most part. It seemed like Alabama was a control for majority of the game, as Alabama tends to do, where you down and then take it to you. The big thing I have, I'm, I'm not worried about Florida State their performance that night, Alabama's. We know what they're going to do. What I'm worried about is Florida State did lose DeAndre Francois, who was actually looking really, really good, making some great passes against, obviously, a lot of NFL-caliber defenders. Uh, how much is that going to kill Florida State? Can James Blackman or any other quarterback fill in? Because after last season, you know, he's not on the hot seat, but in reality, they can't be that bad again in Florida State. 
Well, they're going to be that bad again at Florida State because, you know, you don't lose your, your starting quarterback. Um, and the problem with Florida State is they've had two or three transfers um, over the last couple of years, so there's no depth. So they're going to a true freshman at quarterback. But there's just, you don't survive something like this um, in, in terms of a season-long thing. I mean, look, I, I still think they can win a lot of games. That defense was awesome. But you lose DeAndre Francois, a quarterback that um, – that, uh, you know, started every game for you last year was, uh, you know, a total difference maker. You just don't recover from something like that. And so to me, I think that's my biggest takeaway, maybe from all of week one, you know, if it's not Kevin Sumlin, you know, basically losing his job, whether it's official or not, it's that Florida State absolutely had a team that was good enough to make the college football playoff. But I just don't see how you can possibly kind of um, kind of keep going forward uh, you know, uh, this season and expect them to have that expectation. I mean, they were basically going to have to win out even with a healthy DeAndre Francois to make the college football playoff. Uh, and now because of it, um, you know, I, I just don't see how they win a brutal ACC. You know, there's so many good teams in the ACC from Miami to Louisville to NC State to, of course, Clemson. Um, you know, Virginia Tech is in the other division, but they would have to, you know, there's just too many big games on this schedule. And I think Florida State would have had trouble running the table as it is. Now I think it's darn near impossible because of this loss. Yeah, I agree. I just wanted to, I, I didn't know too much about the uh, freshman quarterback, but when I saw freshman, I was already lowering my expectations. But let's move on to another, like I said, there's tons of crazy games this weekend. USC, Western Michigan, last time we saw Western Michigan, they were rowing the boat in the Cotton Bowl, and they, they kept it with the Badgers. That's the team I go for. They, they kept it close with them, but they didn't have enough. This week, in opening up in the Coliseum against a top-five team in USC, they gave USC everything they had. What's your takeaway from that game? I think we're going to learn a lot about USC this week. And, you know, the big thing is, is that, you know, you give the credit to the Alabamas, the Michigans, the Florida States, the Floridas for playing these signature games. But whether it's a great win like Oklahoma had against UTEP, like Clemson had against uh, Akron, or I think they played Akron, um, you know, or whether it's a team like um, – you know, like USC that struggled against Western Michigan, you try not to take too much of too much away from it. Now, I'll say this: is that one? I think USC uh, played a team that's better than people realize. You just hit the nail on the head. This is a team that went 13 and one last year, rode the boat to the Cotton Bowl. They were undefeated during the regular season, and so Western Michigan, even though PJ Fleck is gone, they do return a lot of experience and a lot of guys that are used to winning. Um, so I think that that's kind of something that's being overlooked here. But I, I think we will learn a lot about USC this weekend. They they host Stanford. Stanford's a team that's always given them trouble, dating back really to the peak, the end of the peak Carroll era at the very least. Um, and so to me, I'm not going to take too much away from that USC game in week one, but we're going to find out really quick. USC was my pick in the preseason to win the national championship. We're going to learn awfully quick. Uh, whether this team is that national championship contender or not, not even just whether they win or lose this weekend, but how they go about doing it. And I have to ask you because that's what everybody wants to do is talk about Heisman's after week one because it makes so much sense, kind of like top 25 rankings. But um, what do you take? What, what were your thoughts on uh, Sam Darnold in that game? He, 289 yards, two picks. Um, what are the thoughts? He was like one of the front runners coming into the year. 
My thought was I don't get the Pac-12 network, so I didn't really get to watch, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> like everybody else, like everybody else in America, I don't get the Pac-12 network. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, so, um, so that was my honest big takeaway. Um, I was told by people that watched it that it wasn't as bad as the stats might look, um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, it just wasn't what you would expect from a Heisman contender playing a, 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 a group of five schools. So to me, I don't know what to take away from it. Like I said, I will, um, I will be able to, uh, you know, I'll, we're going to learn a lot more about USC uh, this weekend against Stanford. And, and like we'll see in some of these other games we'll talk about later when we quick hit through week two, um, a lot of these guys that played these quote-unquote group five, one double-A schools – they might have been looking ahead to a Stanford and kind of thought, okay, it's just Western Michigan. We'll find out, like you said. Yeah, um, and that's my big thing is I'm not going to take away too much. I'm not going to give too much credit to the teams that absolutely crushed uh, crushed their opponent. I'm a, like a Clemson, like a Penn State. But I also don't think that we should you know, discredit too much the teams that struggled because, again, a lot of these teams, like a USC – uh, have big week two opponents like Georgia, who actually look pretty good, like Notre Dame. You know, you fill in the blanks. There's a lot of teams that use week one almost as a preseason game. So, again, I'm not going to take too much out of it either way. Now, here's a game that was not a preseason game, and I had high expectations for Florida, and their defense, for the most part, for the most part, still wasn't great. It, it was good. Michigan, who I think is very good defensively, I never really liked their offense, was better than I thought. They also threw two touchdowns to the other team, so you can rack that onto it. This was a bloodbath, and the scoreboard doesn't even do it justice. Florida, McIlwain's got some serious trouble, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, he does. Um, you know, the thing with, uh, with Florida is that they have, for the last couple years, for the last couple years, uh, they – have really gotten by on defense and on Will Muschamp's recruits and on the guys that, um, you know, that, that, that were left over. And so now to go ahead and to, to you're going to have to rely on the offense more. And the reason they hired Jim McElwain, by the way, was because of the fact that Jim McElwain was an offensive guy. He was Alabama's offensive coordinator under Nick Saban. He goes to Colorado State. He has success. And, but, you know, he comes to Florida and the offense just has not clicked. And I think you're so right as far as a guy that, you know, he had so much to prove in this game. They lost eight uh, players to the NFL draft. Seven of them were starters on defense. And it was no secret. The offense had to step up. The offense had to make plays. And it was maybe the worst performance of the McElwain era. Three points on offense. Obviously, we all know the stat that Michigan threw two pick sixes. It was a game that Michigan easily could have won by 30, or I should say they should have won by 30. They easily could have won by 40. And so to me, um, to me, that's the big takeaway is Jim McElwain's got a lot of explaining to do. You know, he actually was a guy that did a lot of talking in the, the lead up to this game and they got smoked. And you know, everyone's going to say, well, their leading receiver was suspended. This guy was suspended. That guy was suspended. That was an old-fashioned butt-kicking. It wasn't one player. It wasn't one different. It was across the field, every position, basically, Michigan was better. I think Jim McElwain's got a lot of explaining to do. Again, you know, you're not going to say he's on the hot seat or anything, but, man, he's got to put together a couple better performances. Yeah, big time. 
Uh, we already we already hit on the Big Ten, so let's just move on to what were and there's probably way more than three. What were your, like kind of your biggest your biggest takeaways of the opening weekend? Like say, give me two or three. Um, like I said, I think number one was probably um, was probably Kevin Sumlin. I just I don't know how he survives this. I mean, I think unless he gets a monumental win that nobody can see coming. Maybe it's this Alabama game. Maybe it's LSU to close the season. LSU, by the way, the only team Alabama hasn't been in the SEC West during the Kevin Sumlin era. Um, I don't see how he survives it. So that's number one. Is that there, like I said earlier, there are just certain there are just certain games that a coach can't survive in the long term. They might survive that week or even that year. As I said earlier, Charlie Strong got to coach one more game after he lost to Kansas. Will Muschamp got an extra year after he after he lost to Georgia Southern. Lane Kiffin was brought back after that embarrassing Sun Bowl loss to Georgia Tech. But ultimately, there are losses you just don't recover from. I think that is the case with Kevin Sumlin. Um, so that's my big takeaway. My second big takeaway is Florida State season is over before it even began. Um, you feel bad for the Seminoles. You feel bad for DeAndre Francois because I really believe that this is a team that was good enough to get to the college football playoff. I really believe that had he been healthy, um, you know, that this was a team that showed me a lot, even in a loss to Bama. I mean, look, you know, we could sit here and say the final score was 24 to, to, to whatever it was, 10, I think, 24 to 7, 24 to 7. And, you know, we could sit here and say the final score this, the final score that. The truth is that Florida State defensively gave Alabama major problems. And I really thought, okay, you know, give them a few weeks. They'll get right. They'll beat the teams they're supposed to in the ACC. And they'll play themselves back into the picture. But I think without DeAndre Francois, the season is over. And the third takeaway I think we just talked about. You know, all I heard all offseason long, and, and you said you're a Big Ten fan, so, so you'll probably appreciate this. But, like, you know, all this stuff about Jim Harbaugh, Oh, he's overrated. Oh, he hasn't finished better than third in his conference or his division. It's like, dude, it, that was the dumbest narrative I had ever heard. This was a guy who was one yard away from beating Ohio State last year. If he beats Ohio State, he plays your Badgers, potentially to go to the college football playoff. Even when he loses, he goes to the Orange Bowl. Jabril Peppers doesn't play. Jake Butt gets hurt. And all of a sudden, people are crushing him for losing to the Orange Bowl in a game where he had the lead in the final two minutes of the game. So to me, that was Harbaugh making a statement like, no, I know what the hell I'm doing. I'm one of the five best coaches in this sport, and we might not have it all figured out, but we're a lot better than you guys are giving them credit for. I give Jim Harbaugh so much credit for taking that team down to Jerry World and really just making a statement win and saying, you know what, don't forget about us. I don't care how many guys we lost to the NFL. We're legit, and we can play. No, that's a great point. A couple things I want to just ask you real quick. So Kevin Sumlin, I agree, is in massive, massive trouble. How long into the season do you think he goes before they say screw it? It depends. I mean, you know, you know, the, he's got a couple wins, you know, that that are out of out of conference games that should be wins. So that that he has going for him. Um, but it, it could unravel quick. I mean, look, the the plus side is is that he's in. The uh, SEC West and the SEC West is a little down this year. Arkansas is a team that he's always had success against. That's who they'll open SEC play against. Um, Mississippi State isn't as good as they've been. Ole Miss certainly isn't as good as they've been. But those are two teams that AM lost to last year. And so to me, you know, I, I, I'll just say this is, you know, he better start winning and start winning in a hurry. Obviously, I think he will this weekend. Um, 
But, you know, if it gets to the point where they're 3-4, and 2-3, and 3-5, three, three and five, yeah, he's going to be fired before the season's over. I don't think it'll get to that because the one thing about someone is his teams generally play pretty well in the early part of the season. But I do think as time goes on, uh, the losses are just going to mount. The Auburn, you know, Auburn's tough. They actually, ironically, play a game pretty early in the season at Florida, which will be a pretty signature game for both teams that are going to need a win. So, to me... Um, I think there's a reasonable chance he could make it through the season. Look, I'm not you know, putting out the possibility that he doesn't survive. I don't think that he will. By the way, I think the biggest thing is, let's keep in mind, the last game of the season is against LSU. That's a game that LSU absolutely crushed A&M in last year. It actually allowed uh, Ed Orgeron to get the head coaching job. If you remember, the year before, it allowed Les Miles to keep the job for another year. And so why do I say that? That could be a make-or-break game for Kevin Sumlin the end of the season again. So I actually would be – I would be – I'll admit it. I'll be, I would be somewhat surprised if he was fired during the year just because I think he will win the games he's supposed to. But with that program, what we've seen late, especially in November, is that as the season goes on, they wear down and the losses start to pile up late. So, so you know, if you're asking me a percentage, I would say probably 65-35 that he at least makes it till the end of the year. But actually, surviving the next year, I'd put it at much lower odds. No, that that makes that makes a ton of sense. And and the last thing we don't, I'm not, it's not a question, but I completely agree with the Harbaugh take. I I knew they would be good. I knew they'd be fine. I didn't think it would look like that. That was very impressive. And and you're you're 100 correct. People forget. And it was very controversial because I'm still on the side that he was short. But Ohio State game, Michigan most likely would have beat Wisconsin. They would have been in the playoffs. So, it's uh, yeah, it was that close, and people forget all about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. And that's the only thing is, like, look, I understand why people don't like him. There's a lot of headlines. He steals the offseason every year. But, look, this guy knows football. And, and for all the bravado and for all the goofy stuff that he does, like – Let's never forget what he did at Stanford. Let's never forget that he had the 49ers, you know, within a play or two of potentially winning the Super Bowl. This guy knows football, and there's a reason that Michigan is paying him an astronomical amount of money. It's because he is the best thing that has happened to that school, you know, since, I don't know, since Tom Brady or something. I don't even know. But, like, you know, he is a great coach. He knows what he's doing. Don't let the bravado, the bluster, whatever fool you. He is legit. Michigan is legit. And I think it'll be interesting to see going forward because I think we all kind of just assumed that the Penn State-Ohio State game was going to decide the, uh, the, uh, the Big Ten East and potentially a playoff spot. Now I think you've got to at least consider Michigan, especially when you remember that by the time they play those teams, they'll have a bunch more game experience under their belts. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, let's take a quick look at week two. Some of the big matchups we'll get to and then a couple interesting smaller ones I wanted to just bring up. You don't have to go super deep unless you got a lot to talk about, which is fine. But if you just want to quick hit them, uh, early Saturday morning we have Louisville at North Carolina. It's another big game. Uh, Louisville survived Purdue, another Big Ten team that surprised me that they kept the game that close. Yeah. They, as Purdue is usually literally that's, – that's a Big Ten bye week most times. That was impressive. Mm-hmm. At home, got beat by a Cal team. That looked really, really good. So – this is an intriguing game to me on a couple areas. Like, is Louisville going to figure it out? Maybe they took Purdue easy, or is Carolina, who everybody knows can play offense, even though they lost some players this year, defensively is always an issue. Can they keep up with Louisville? 
Yeah, I think this is a game where Louisville kind of reasserts themselves. You know, like you said, Purdue was really impressive. Jeff Brom in his first game uh, looked looked like he not only knows what he's doing, but that in six short months he completely flipped that program around. Obviously, they're a ways away from even competing in the Big Ten West, let alone on any kind of national level. But I, I think it's a game where Louisville comes in. Look, you know, North Carolina has lost a ton of talent over the last couple of years. Obviously, the big name is Mitchell Trubisky, but, you know, this is their third starting quarterback in three years. Uh, they lost, look, Ryan Switzer, Elijah Hood. I mean, they lost a lot of guys off that offense. And so to me, I think that Cal game was maybe indicative of who they're going to be this year, a fringe bowl team, a young team that that's really, uh, you know, going to take their lumps. I think Louisville wins this game pretty big. Uh, one, another one that I wanted to see, Western Michigan uh, against Michigan State. Uh, it's a good test to see if Western Michigan is legit in my mind. It's not the best Michigan State as we're used to seeing year in and year out, but Michigan State always still puts a good team on the field. They're not going to be a walkover. It's going to be a rivalry game if Western Michigan keeps producing the way they're producing pretty soon. It's really intriguing because for Big Ten fans, the Mac's like the little brother. So there's always a Mac oh, team yeah. on, on your schedule every year. But there's never a team usually like Western Michigan coming out of the MAC continuously. So this game, I, was, I wanted to ask you about. Does this? It, well, it's a simple answer, but I guess we'll learn a lot about Western Michigan. Is what I'm trying to say this week. <laughs> yeah, I think. Look, we talked a lot about Western Michigan and the fact that they're probably a little more talented than we give them credit for. It's a huge game for Michigan State. I mean, look, we know what happened last year. They went three and nine coming off of a college football playoff berth, and obviously had a lot of off the field turmoil this off season. A lot of guys. Uh, either got suspended or straight up booted from the team. Other guys transferred. Uh, again, we didn't learn a ton about Michigan State in week one, but we will learn about them this week because that Western Michigan team we know is not going to be afraid of them. They actually played West uh, Michigan State two years ago, the year Michigan State made the college football playoff. We're going to learn a lot about Michigan State this week. I don't know that we know a ton about them right now. I feel pretty confident that we're going to know a bit more after this week and after what I saw from Western Michigan this past weekend – it wouldn't shock me if they kept things close against the Spartans. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Another intriguing matchup, we got a top 25 Big 12 school in TCU, and after we saw what happened in Texas, they're one of the, the, the few bright spots and can really make a statement, especially going on in the future there. Going in to play the Razorbacks, who they're always kind of the middle tier, and the, they're kind of like that benchmark. Like, okay, if you can pass them, you're going to be okay. If you can't beat them, well, you're not going to be. They're like the gatekeeper in the SEC. This is an intriguing matchup because this could be a big statement for TCU. What do you see taking place here? Yeah, um, it, it's, it's going to be a big statement for both teams. And it's funny because I remember last year when I was writing full-time with FoxSports.com, uh, you know, Arkansas won this game, and it was a pretty signature win for Brett Bielema. His teams have struggled early in the season. You know, we thought TCU was probably going to be a little bit better with Kenny Hill at quarterback. Uh, and as it turned out, it didn't really mean much of anything. TCU was a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Arkansas didn't quite live up to expectations. But, look, this is an important win. Uh, you know, this is an important game for both programs. TCU just trying to get back on the right track. They really haven't recovered since Trevon Boykin left. Um, and then Arkansas, you know, they just need signature wins. And, and really, they need to make sure and close out games. I mean, that was the big problem last year. They blew leads late against Missouri in the SEC, against Virginia Tech in the Belk Bowl. And, look, again, you know, it's always important to differentiate between guys that are actually on the hot seat, like a Kevin Sumlin, as opposed to people that just need to start winning games. And I think Jim McElwain's in that camp. And I think Brett Bielema's in that camp, too. I wouldn't say Bielema's on the hot seat. He's got a crazy, like, $11 million buyout. 
Jeff Long, the AD, likes him. But they need signature wins. And by the way, you need wins going in the SEC play because, as we know, the SEC is going to be a gauntlet once you get going. So a huge game for both programs. I, you know, I, if I was a better, I would stay away from this. I think there's way too many question marks about both teams uh, to really feel good about uh, wagering on either one. Yeah, Arkansas is a three-point home dog right now. So everyone take wow. that, keep that, keep that in mind. <laughs> um, wow. Before we get to the big ones, one more I wanted to mention, a revenge game for Oregon. They're going to be hosting Nebraska up in Autzen. Both teams look pretty good, as they should have in their opening matchups versus their lower-level teams. But uh, this one, it intrigued me because the line was 7.5 at opening. Now it's up to almost 14 for Oregon against a Nebraska team that's not that bad, in my opinion. Is Oregon really that good, or is there something wrong with Nebraska? Uh, I don't know. I really hope Oregon is not that good. I, I basically have a, a wager with a buddy of mine who runs a, an Oregon premium website, and I have to pay for a bunch of subscriptions for his readers if uh, Oregon hits their over-under win total, which is they have to win nine games. So this was kind of one that I was kind of hoping would go the other way. But Vegas is telling me that Oregon's going to kick some ass. So I'm a little nervous here. Look, I mean, I think Oregon, they put up 70 points, 700 yards of offense. They played Southern Utah. We don't know what that means because we don't. Southern Utah is an FCS opponent. Nebraska, on the other hand, was at home. They played a good Arkansas State team, excuse me, that, you know, Blake Anderson, their head coach, is one of those guys that I think a lot of people think is in line for one of those power five jobs in the offseason. But Nebraska struggled. They didn't look good on either side of the ball, but they got the win. Um, the line has totally puzzled me as well because I thought it was, you know, a pretty even matchup. But for Oregon to open as a seven-point favorite all the way up to, as you said, almost two touchdowns, it leads me to believe that maybe Oregon's just better than we think. Maybe Mark Helfrich really was that bad of a coach last year, and Willie Taggart really is going to uh, turn things around right away. That number feels high to me but I still feel like it, there's it's there for a reason. So I would take Oregon to win this game straight up. I don't know about the 14 points, though. Yeah, and there's, there's something to be said. Austin is not an easy place to play. So nope. there's, there's something there, too. Now let's talk about the four top 25 matchups. Really good games. That, that's your morning, uh, your appetizer. Now we get to the big ones. Yeah, Auburn at Clemson. This has the potential to be good because I think Auburn, people are still overlooking how talented – they are or can be this season. I think they're going to be really, really good. And Clemson, defending champions, they looked great like they should in their first matchup. I got the under in this one, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Auburn's defense looked awesome in week one. They only gave up 78 total yards to Georgia Southern. Um, and so I think Clemson offense with, you know, uh, Kelly Bryant, the, the first-time quarterback replacing Deshaun Watson, I think they're going to struggle to move the ball. But Auburn's offense, you know, the numbers kind of say a story that from what I saw, I didn't really see. You know, they had a lot of success moving the ball, but Jared Stidham, the big-time junior college transfer from Baylor, was one of those guys that left during that Art Bryles transition. You know, he didn't light the world on fire the way that I expected him to. And so I think Auburn on the road against a really good Clemson defense. People forget that a big chunk of that defensive line that dominated Ohio State and played really well against Alabama in the college football playoff last year, those guys are back. Clellan Farrell, uh, Christian Watkins, a couple of uh, Dexter Lawrence. Like, they got big-time, you know, Alabama, Florida State-type players on that defensive line. Auburn wins, but I think it's a low scoring, you know, 13 to 10, uh, 12, 10, 13, 12, 14, 13 kind of game. 
I like it. It'll be a good game. It might not be the entertaining game that the video yeah. game era enjoys, but football fans are going to love that game. It's going to be a great game. Um, yep. at, the same, at the same time, we're going to have a few more. we got Georgia at Notre Dame. This is interesting because Georgia's already better than I expected. They have two stud running backs. I had to double take going into the season. I thought Nick Chubb was gone by now. It's like Wojciechowski at Duke back in the day. He just, he's still there somehow. But Georgia at Notre Dame, hopefully Notre Dame eventually gets back to prominence. This is a huge game for both sides, but especially Notre Dame, to get back to that prominence. What do you think? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. You know, Georgia, their starting quarterback, Jacob Beeson, was hurt, but their uh, but their backup, Jake Fromm, a true freshman, looked really good. And I was never a huge Jacob Beeson guy. He was a guy that was a really highly rated kid that just – he was good, but not as good as I expected last year. And Jake Fromm, by the way, best Twitter handle in college football, it's Jake Fromm State Farm. So uh, you can go ahead and look him up there. Uh, he looked really good. And so to me, um, I as weird as it sounds, with a backup quarterback, true freshman, going on the road, I feel better about Georgia than I did. Uh, look, Notre Dame wasn't as bad as that record indicated uh, last year. But, um, you know, to me, uh, I, you know, this feels like a field goal game either way. I'm going to go with Georgia. I think they have more talent across the board. And I got to be honest, Jake from State Farm, like he really impressed me last weekend. Uh, I, as weird as it sounds, I don't think there will be a drop-off with the backup true freshman quarterback. I think he'll be ready to go. I think it'll be a really good game. I love it. I love it. And then another one at the same time on ABC – a, a rematch of last year's game down in Oklahoma. We have Oklahoma at Ohio State. Ohio State's a touchdown favorite. And the way they played versus Indiana made me feel like either I completely misjudged Indiana or they were looking ahead to this ball game. I think Ohio State – I think Urban Meyer has been studying this one for a long time. What's your thoughts here? Yeah, it's tough because part of me wants to defend Ohio State and say you go on the road, conference game against a team you play every year. Now, we know Ohio State has more talent, but Indiana knows that team, you know, just from having played them every year. And Indiana's played other teams tough throughout the years. But to me, I also still think it's emblematic of the fact that maybe Ohio State hasn't figured out those offensive problems. You know, I mentioned the college football playoff last year against Clemson when Ohio State, um, you know, just they, they couldn't move the ball. I mean, they lost 31 to nothing. And you lose Curtis Samuel, who's now playing for the uh, Carolina Panthers, by far your best playmaker. I think this offense is going to struggle more than most people uh, think. I think everyone's just kind of assuming that they'll figure it out. It's Ohio State. They're, they always have great recruiting classes. I just don't see it. Um, I really don't want to pick the upset with Oklahoma because, you know, they have a 34-year-old head coach in his second career game as a head coach. But I just think Oklahoma, I, I really do. I really, I don't know why. I, I feel like I'm going to look dumb by Saturday night for saying this. I think Oklahoma gets the upset, though. I am not sold on this, this Ohio State uh, uh, offense specifically. And I think Oklahoma pulls off the upset. I really do. As a Badger fan, that would make me so happy. Unbelievably happy. But the shoe at night's difficult. And the one thing that's going to stink if uh, Oklahoma does lose we don't get the whole big game Bob narrative anymore. That's just <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The last game of the night, we've hit on it a little bit, and it'll be a really, really good nightcap to another good Saturday of college football. Stanford goes to the Coliseum and takes on USC, a Stanford team that 
looked really, really good. So what's your take on uh, this one? We're going to learn a lot about both teams. And, again, I, I've said it a few times, so I hate to bore your audience here, but you know, I, I try not to take too much excitement out of a, a good team playing well against an inferior competition like Stanford did against Rice two weeks ago. And I try not to take too much out of a, a, a poor performance like USC. The one thing for me is that you know Stanford always plays USC tough. I don't know. I don't know. I really – I just think this is a game where um, – one, we're going to learn a lot about both teams, but but you know the, it's about a five and a half point game right now with USC. Traditionally, USC doesn't blow out Stanford, so I think it'll be close. The Coliseum helps. Uh, I don't know who I'm going with yet. I still got time to figure it out, but it's going to be a good game. I'll put it that way. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. It's going to, like I said, it'll finish off a nice. Nice night of action. You even got Utah, BYU late if people get bored. Boise State, Washington State won't be a sleeper. You know, spread offense in Houston versus Arizona. There's tons to like um, on your evening. But I appreciate it, man. This was awesome info. Anything else you want to hit from the weekend, past weekend, this weekend that we didn't touch on? No, I think we got it all. I, uh, I appreciate you having me, Bubba. Uh, Aaron underscore Torres. Uh, yeah, you can get all these, these – Hot takes uh, anytime you want them, but uh, it was fun. Uh, we'll do it again soon. Yeah, guys, check him out on Twitter. Like you said, at Aaron underscore Torres. He's always tweeting stuff about football, whatever. He might be controversial to some. I appreciate it all because I like people fluffing the feathers to the you know the softies out there. I love it. So it's good gotta stuff. Got to get people and, riled up. Got to get people riled up. Exactly. exactly. Too, many, too many cupcakes out there. Um, and you can find him on Fox Sports Radio. Tons going on, so check him out. Again, Aaron, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. No problem. This was Bench with Bubba, episode 55. We'll catch you guys later.